I wrote a book, I wrote an ebook with Amazon uh, called Bitcoin, The Naked Truth About Bitcoin. And I went at it looking to try and find out exactly what it was. And what I basically found out was it's a scam. It's nonsense. I mean, it's cotton candy. Uh, Satoshi, Nakamoto Satoshi, who apparently invented Bitcoin and the blockchain, his experiment of using Bitcoin to drive the blockchain has pretty much failed. Welcome to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. By now, most of you have heard of the spectacular collapse of the FTX crypto platform, crypto exchange, call it what you want. At the center of this incredible drama is a financial whiz, or he used to be a whiz, called Sam Bankman-Fried and his empire has collapsed. At one point, we are talking about billions here running through this operation based in the Bahamas. And then just recently, the world was told it was filing for bankruptcy. Quite amazing, quite a stunning fall from grace. This Sam Bankman-Fried was a darling of the financial media, the worldwide media and anything he touched metaphorically speaking turned to gold he had a lot of lieutenants around him he was based in the Bahamas he had a strange and weird haircut maybe that was part of his appeal he was in the zone as they say um, not quite of this world and yet of this financial world and he had many very so-called sophisticated investors pumping lots of money in his crypto platform and now we're told that money's gone try to explain it it's enigmatic it's strange i'm looking at the opening sentence the opening paragraph in yahoo news by three crackerjack reporters talking about ftx they say it's a collapse that some here called crypto's Lehman moment. I'm not sure if that's a bit of a stretch, but I do remember when Lehman collapsed and it was when President Obama was running up against John McCain and McCain was um, multiple points ahead. He was he was running headstrong and ahead of Obama, uh, Obama being the Democrat and John McCain, the Republican, Lehman collapsed and then McCain's chances just steadily declined from there. It it played into the hands of the Democrats because all hell broke loose and was unleashed in Wall Street. And we know how the rest played out. So a week's a long time in politics. But back to Sam Bankman-Fried. Some have also compared him and his company to sort of the Madoff of our time. Now, in some ways, that could be correct. Um, he's been accused, and I say accused, of running a Ponzi scheme or a Ponzi-type scheme, uh, funneling money, allegedly, from his main operation to uh, a trading arm. And I guess that's where a lot of this whole mess unraveled. Not so sure if the Madoff comparison is apt. On some levels, there are similarities um, both were driven individuals, and I speak of Bernie Madoff, who I knew and I wrote about. Get back to that in a moment. Um, but 
each individual and each company dealt in different uh, currencies, if that's the correct word. The late Bernie Madoff, have mercy on his soul, allegedly picked the pockets of wealthy investors in Miami and the rich enclaves of Florida uh, with his uh, Midas touch. Um, But unlike Sam Bankman-Fried, Bernie, I believe, dealt in fiat currencies and um, picked the pockets of wealthy people. God bless them for their wealth. They, I'm sure they worked very hard. And on those banknotes and so on were the the legend, in God we trust. I don't think uh, we can place the same kind of appellation to crypto, Bitcoin. I'm calling me a big skeptic. Um, I don't think crypto's time has arrived. I could be really wrong. And I know lots of people have made money in it and will continue. But a lot of suckers have been caught at the exit doors um, and here's a good example with Sam Bankman-Fried and his FTX platform out of the sunny Bahamas. I don't know if you saw photos of Sam. He's quite the unusual character. Seems like a guy with a high IQ. I don't know. He comes across as having a, a, a high IQ, but maybe he puts that on. He was really friendly with the regulators in Washington. Allegedly, he funneled a lot of money to the Democratic uh, Party machine. And we're going to hear lots more about that in the coming months, I think. We've already heard more about it. Sam Bankman-Fried is a lesson for us all. Um, one lesson, one takeaway is his hubris and reports of his goings-on and carry-on at meetings with regulators and high people in high places meeting with him in, in his boardroom, I guess, or whatever he called the... Um, company office in the Bahamas he would literally f and blind and go off and rants as if he controlled the conversation not not such a good thing and apparently we're reading that he badmouthed his competitors and in a sense wanted to run his competitors out of business he was the only game in town so question is did he believe in free enterprise or was he some closet crazy de facto communist i'm kind of half kidding but you drive your the competition out i guess that's sort of monopoly so maybe that's not communism so i'm sure there were people out there had the knives out for sam when his dire moment came and a lot of the money was lots of the money was missing because if you'll recall we've read that there was one famous financier in the crypto space stepped in with a lifeline for ftx And then maybe within 24 hours, yanked that same lifeline. This financier, I don't think, saw financial eye to financial eye with Sam. And I guess my interpretation of this event was that he was yanking his chain, as they would say, in street parlance in Queens, New York. I don't know. Um, But I'm fascinated by the whole thing. And I, I think we should stop comparing him to Bernie Madoff. As I said, I knew Bernie. I knew all the Madoffs and I wrote a famous cover story for Traders Magazine when I was editor there many years ago. Um, And we asked the same question. Extraordinary uh, wealth that Bernie had promised investors and we know where that went. Another point of difference, of course, is that Bernie ran a wealth management firm, a sort of a brokerage firm. And then the family itself, the company had a what I 
could only regard as a legitimate trading arm, highly respected. Of course, that's not the same at FTX. Uh, and maybe one other similarity with Bernie um, and Sam. Bernie was highly revered in Washington circles among regulators and had a high position at one point at NASDAQ. He was the go-to guy. Media went to him all the time. I used to go to him for ask him questions and he had a brilliant mind. So I, I missed the guy and um, I think a lot of sadness visited the entire Madoff family. Really sad. Don't think we'll know the full extent of what went on and who were maybe the fillings in disguise, but maybe that's for another episode. Uh, not that I know anything more than what I've read in the papers and a lot of it might, what I'm saying now is gut instinct. Um, what I mean, I better clarify this. Um, fillings in disguise maybe means that people gave their money over to Bernie expecting double digit uh, returns and maybe in the back of their head the intelligent ones or savvy ones figured this can't be possible i don't know maybe he convinced them that it was possible we'll never know but then people invest their money in hedge funds and uh, expect double digit returns so and maybe it can be done uh, anyway i'm going to do a slight ret no i'm going to do a retrospective here on three interviews on the crypto that i've had on dig life deep um in the past uh, year or so one will be the Number three in the list, it's with Jeffrey Robinson, the famed uh, financial writer. He's written extensively on money laundering. We'll play that at the end for his thesis on crypto, because to some degree it sums up my thesis. And then two other ones were with two very interesting, great gentlemen. One is CEO of the Himalaya Exchange and the other guy, Pat Lavecchia, CEO of Oasis Pro. My only final comment on crypto is i'm skeptical of it i can only see it becoming a financial force in the world like a, a more legitimate financial force than we're seeing right now if if we enter a period of massive global chaos uh the banking system breaks down the federal reserve system breaks down central banks war breaks out across more nations i'm not wishing on that and just massive distrust of our institutions i think in that kind of a scenario especially in our advanced social media age crypto may actually have a vital presence in our survival before we get to all of that it's time first for our weekly segment of future shock 2.0 with ira wolf ira wolf is a workforce trends expert thought leader and um, host of the ever-popular Geek Skeezers and Googleization podcast. And actually this past week, he hosted a really interesting and um, well-attended uh, record numbers of people for his live stream with the uh, team from Odeon Capital Conversations. We talked about jobs, money and markets and great insights from dick bovet chief financial strategist at Odeon capital group he we talked about his victory lap and some previous forecasts he's done out of Odeon capital group and he looked to the future where unemployment was going interest rates global economy had a, a great take on china so and then we had a massively interesting contributions uh from matt van alstein Odeon co-founder and managing partner and i was also on that live stream and i 
thoroughly enjoyed it with questions from listeners and Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran did a superb job. So here's Ira Wolf with this week's segment of Future Shock 2.0. He picks up from his last piece from the recent Mercer study on what is on employees' minds. And he gets into a statistical uh, segment here. And it all refers to the number of employees quitting their jobs in the United States and I guess in the Western world more generally. So here's Ira Wolf with Future Shock 2.0. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. 45% of low-income workers, that's making under 60,000 K. Remember a time when 60,000 was a lot of money, John? Hmm. Uh, so now it's considered low-income workers. 45% of low-income workers are considering leaving, but only 32% of high-income earners. Now, that's interesting because it's still one out of three high income earners are still trying to are thinking about quitting the job. But it's also tied to ethnicity. So 36% of Black or African-American workers are thinking of leaving, but 41% of Asian workers, 42% of Hispanic and Latino workers, about one third of white workers are thinking of leaving the job. So it's highest among Hispanic, Latino, Asian, and Black and African-American. But then we could look at industries, and this probably isn't much of a surprise. 39%, almost four out of every 10 healthcare workers thinking of leaving. Uh, 48%, almost half of all retail and hospitality. 31% of high-tech workers. Uh, and 29%, and this fits into what we talk about on Odeon Capital in your world, John. 29% in financial services are still thinking of quitting their jobs. Wow. So, so here's the bottom line. We're living in never normal times. The past isn't going to be a reflection of the future. Workforce strategies that have worked in the past aren't going to work this time around. If you're thinking this is going to be an employee-led labor market uh, or, or employer-led labor market, think again. And here's the conclusion of the Mercer study. Tenure is the single largest human capital driver of a company's financial and operational performance. So I, I think uh, I'm safe to say that many employers are going to be in for a rocky road if they start to apply data from the past. Thank you, Ira Wolf. And we'll have more from Ira Wolf next week. We keep digging for the secrets and stories of uncommon and everyday things and interesting people. So our first snippet here is from my recent interview with Pat Lavecchia, CEO of Oasis Pro. It's an ATS in the crypto space. Pat is a delight to talk to, an expert on this, and has a career in traditional finance on Wall Street. And so he's a respected individual, and I respected his opinions. And here he'll give his take on where he thinks this whole crypto Bitcoin is at. Remember, this interview was done months ago and events uh, have overtaken maybe some of what he has said in terms of sensibility, maybe not. But Pat gets into it here. Bitcoin. Bitcoin's going to be volatile for some time. I believe it's a store of value. I believe it's here to stay. You believe it's a store of value, Pat? That's interesting. I do. I do. Because, you know, I look at gold. If I buy gold, I actually never see gold. Right. But I believe it's a story of value. Uh, China is heading in this direction. Now, the concern is a digital one could surpass the U.S. dollar as the world currency. Right. It could be a reserve currency. Yes, absolutely. My next segment is with 
Jesse Brown, CEO of Himalaya Exchange. It's kind of a newbie, like a lot of the um, crypto operators and platforms and exchanges out there. And Jesse is bright and articulate. Um, he had some interesting takes on it. He sees, like Pat Levecchia, who you just heard a moment ago, he sees a future, a bright future for crypto. There is skepticism, and skepticism, quite frankly, is very healthy. But I think once you get past that and you understand the software and, and, and how you, the transactions can work so much more efficiently uh, cost-wise and settlement times are so much lower, once you really understand that, you'll know that blockchain in particular and then some of these cryptos built on blockchains is really the future of finance. You need regulation, though, and you, you, know, you need everyone to be on the same page as far as you know, the IMF and every jurisdiction is unique, every country is unique in, in its uh, economic needs and, and, and how their you know, countries work with their own fiat. You know, a lot of people move to crypto in times like these when the when when we're raising our rates in the U.S., that affects uh, a lot of developing nations and the value of their fiat. You know, Venezuela is a great example of that. There's there's a there's going to be a bucket of those examples where that'll be more of an organic move to crypto. Where now I'm living in uh, El Salvador or I'm living in a country where my government fiat is losing value rapidly, it's a wealth preservation move for them. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play, and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Finally, my friend, Jeffrey Robinson. He is the author of a number of bestsellers, including the runaway bestseller, The Laundry Men. And I'm waiting for his next book. Um, he is just a fascinating character. He does after-dinner speeches and anybody that wants some to spice up a financial evening, bring him along. He's really, really amazing. Sometimes takes a contrarian view, but he knows how to defend his opinions. And here's Jeffrey's take. Listen closely. Here's his take on crypto and Bitcoin and all that stuff. We had an interesting back and forth. So I pulled it from a longer interview I did uh, with Jeffrey in the past 12 months. And this one is relevant to our times. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. I wrote a book, I wrote an ebook with Amazon uh, called Bitcoin, The Naked Truth About Bitcoin. And I went at it looking to try and find out exactly what it was. And what I basically found out was it's a scam. It's nonsense. I mean, it's cotton candy. It doesn't, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, Satoshi, Nakamoto Satoshi, who apparently invented Bitcoin and the blockchain, his experiment of using Bitcoin to drive the blockchain has pretty much failed. It's nonsense. It doesn't exist. The, the blockchains that are in existence today are not driven by Bitcoin because Bitcoin is too volatile. It's a terrible currency. It does, it's not even a currency. It doesn't, it doesn't work very well. It's a solution in search of a problem. There are other cryptocurrencies which may or may not be more interesting. 
But what I've recently come to understand, taking all this flack from the Bitcoin faithful who say, well, you're too old, you don't understand, uh, uh, you know, it's the algorithm and it's, it's science, it's this, that, and the other thing. What I've recently come to understand is it's, it's the emperor's new clothes. Mm. All these clowns pushing Bitcoin are standing there naked saying, you, just because you can't see the great frocks we're wearing doesn't mean that we're not the best dressed in the world. Yeah, it does. So it's, so it's like tulip mania of old and all those other well, problems. You know, there, there's something, there's a difference between price and value. The price of Bitcoin is now $50,000 a coin, something like that. Right. Down from 67, dropped right. in, in, in a week. It dropped 20 some odd percent. Uh, in fact, it dropped 30% in a week. So you can't depend on this stuff. It's not a store of value, not a dependable store of value. Uh, and it's not a currency. There's no circular flow of income with it. It's, uh, it, it's, it's got a value, an intrinsic value of zero. It's not worth anything. The price, yes, yeah, somebody's willing to pay 50000 for it, but there's no intrinsic value. And that's important because when you look at fiat currency and they always say, well, fiat currency disappears because of inflation. These are people who don't know what they're talking about. Fiat, fiat, the British pound and the dollar and the euro have intrinsic value because you have to pay your taxes with it. And it is backed by a government and all of the institutions of the government. And the people of, who, uh, who make up the, uh, the citizenry, there is intrinsic value to that. Uh, this business of, well, it disappears to inflation. Yes, if in 1913 you had $100 and you put it under your bed, the buying power in the year 2022 would be $6. You would have lost $94 to inflation mm. buying power. It would still be worth $100, but you would, from 1913, it would it would go it would have you'd, you'd only be able to buy six dollars worth of what you could have bought for a hundred but it'd still be a hundred dollars point is no one leaves it under their bed you invest it you put it into etfs against the s p 500 you put it into a bank you earn interest you buy bonds you do something so the buying power of that hundred dollars if you had invested it properly in very simple safe ways would be worth i don't know 98 or 99 dollars. so the inflation thing is a false argument it really doesn't hold hold true but surely some investors will and have made money on Bitcoin. Those who got no, out. they're smart. not investors. They're not well, investors. Call them what you want, but they're gamblers. Gam they, gambled. they have made money, right? Oh, they've made money because they bought it fifty thousand and they sold it sixty-seven. Except they haven't. They haven't sold it sixty-seven. And the people who bought it two thousand dollars are greedy. So they're still holding on to it. Either they sold it four thousand, or they're now saying, "Look, I've got you know, I bought it two thousand. I've now got fifty thousand. <coughs> I'll wait till it goes to a hundred thousand." Yeah. No, it's gambling. It's it's and it's a loaded roulette wheel because the largest group of people, the very few people, it's a hundred people who own the biggest share of Bitcoin, represent something ridiculous like point oh oh one percent of all the Bitcoin holders. I mean it's it's you have to you have to Google the theory of greater fools. Yeah. Yeah. People buy this stuff hoping they can sell it for more. So they're looking for greater fools to sell it to. No, it's all of that last out of the exits uh, theory as well. But um, some fools or speculators or gamblers will make money. I mean, sure. remind you know, it's sort of like you could you could argue that stocks and equities right now are you know it's all a big bubble as well. And not really because stocks, if you buy shares of Apple, you're buying shares in a company that is generating income that has four walls and a roof that exists, that is real. You can see it. If you buy Bitcoin, what have you got? 
we did see where we had in 2008, the market collapsed because arguably the equity market was in bubble territory and it lost- The housing market, yeah. And Well, yeah, and then it affected the equity market too. But, the but, uh, is, but, but, but your point is, is, is correct. There is something underlying that. And Bitcoin, in that sense, is a distinctly different well, if you asset had a, if class, you, if that's correct. If you had a house worth, I don't know, pick a figure, $100,000 in 2008, uh, yes, the value might have dropped to 60000 and you might have been underwater in your mortgage, but you were still living in it. And today it's now worth one hundred and sixty thousand. Yeah. yeah, you didn't necessarily. Yeah, some people lost their homes. Okay, I, I understand that there are bubbles. Yeah. So but so so a lot of people holding cryptocurrency are saying, Jeffrey, you're going to get really burnt, ruined, destroyed. Get out. Get the hell out of it. You're saying it's very hard to tell them that it's worth nothing. There's no value. Yeah, they, they bought into something that is priced but has no value. They don't believe it because they're saying, well, I bought at 30,000 and it's now worth 50,000. So I made $20,000 and what have you done? Yeah, you know, yeah. It's very hard, but it's tulip mania. It's absolutely tulip mania. You are listening to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. You can reach the host in the US at 973-529-4699. That's 973-529-4699, 973-529-4699. Email burndesk at gmail.com. That's burndesk, B-Y-R-N-E, desk at gmail.com. Burndesk at gmail.com. Subscribe for free.